most of the time, if after six months, nine months, a year, you haven't found a scalable way to acquire a customer, you're not going to make it. So you should pivot. If you can find a way to make the growth grow, if you can find a reputable way to find customers, you need to work on something else. The only true validation is people giving you real money. Like, it doesn't matter how often they use your product, it doesn't matter how good they're talking about your product. If they don't pay, you haven't validate anything. And second, do everything you can to talk to your user. Hi, Pierre. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that you could uh, make a time for this. And uh, so personally, uh, coming from the AIML background, uh, we have certain challenges many times uh, when we don't get enough data. And that's when we uh, get to rely on the scraping tools uh, which come to the aid in order to provide some quick accessible public uh, domain data. I'm sure there are many more use cases of uh, scraping that we are going to go through uh, today. And even more importantly, talk about uh, your journey and uh, how you built Scraping B. So let's start off uh, today uh, by getting to know more about your background. I'm Pierre. I, I live in France. And uh, a few years ago, with Kevin, a lifelong friend of mine, we decided to quit our job and uh, try to, to build a, a startup, like try this whole entrepreneurship thing. At first, we began by building a price monitoring tool for small e-commerces, but it did not work out at all. Like after a year, we were at 600 MRR, I believe, and we then pivoted to build a web scraping API. And three years later, later we're here now, scraping bees now making more than 1 million ARR. It's doing well. We're a small team of four, and uh, and yeah, that's that's what we built. Okay, sounds great. So, what motivated you to get into entrepreneurship in the first place? Is it always like uh, you were entrepreneurial from your education days, or uh, was it something else that motivated you? I think I never quite liked to work for someone else. Like I remember at my first an only full-time developer job, actually. I realized that I was working every day to build someone else's dream, the funder's dream. And I just didn't like that. I also didn't like the fact that I was not the master of my time. And for me, this is something really, really important. And it turned out that it's the same for Kevin, my co-founder. And so I guess we first did entrepreneurship out of will of freedom and the fact that it was a path that could give us enough money to to found our lifestyle while staying free. That's always a strong motivator, I can relate. So uh, you mentioned the, that you had a startup early on before eventually you formalized Scraping B. So uh, can you tell us, like, how did you decide when to give up on that uh, startup and, you know, work or, like, move into something else? Yeah, so, as I said, we were selling an e-commerce 
tool, a price monitoring tool for e-commerces. And we realized at some point that all our assumption about that tools, about that market were basically wrong. So as we wanted to make it work, we should have had to, to redo everything. And yet we were not even sure that by redoing everything, we would have been able to, to sell it to, to actual people. So at some point we, we were like, okay, everything we did was wrong. We learn a lot. We have only a few months left of runway. What should we do? So option A, redo everything again. Well, it's going to take a lot of time and we're not sure we're going to, to make it work anyway. Option B, build something else. It turns out that when we built pricing bot, the price monitoring tool, we used the web scraping API. And we were not very satisfied by it. So we thought, okay, maybe we should build the same product, but better with better documentation, acquisition, uh, success rate, speed, better everything. We should build it and try to sell it instead. We both had done a lot of web scraping in our previous job. Kevin actually had written a web scrape, a full web scraping book about web scraping in Java uh, before. So it was a, like just the logic thing to do, the most logical thing to do. Okay, got it. So in a way, you scratched your own itch in one of your earlier startups to start a new startup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Awesome. So, uh, and I think the point of uh, when to decide to move on is probably from what I hear uh, is that uh, when you have that uh, validation or you have the lack of validation from your end users and also showing in attraction, maybe that is a good point to decide to have a pivot or change into something else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm a strong believer in failing quick. Like, of course, you're here, here, and then people who, who build something, then it's staled. It's staled for two years, and then it just blew up. I think one of the most famous examples is probably the founder of uh, ConvertKit. Like, he built it, it's staled for one year and a half, and then it blew up to, I think it's a 20 million AR business right now. But most of the time, if after six months, nine months, a year, you haven't found a scalable way to acquire a customer, you're not going to make it. Okay. So you should pivot. That's my take on this. And um, yeah, basically, if you can find a way to make the growth grow, if you can find a reputable way to find customers, you you need to, to work on something else. Great. Sounds very logical. And so let's now discuss more about Scraping B. So can you give us an overview of uh, what it is and uh, what basically are its primary features? Yeah, sure. So Scraping B is a web scraping API. So it's an API. So it's designed to be used by developers who need to gather lots of data online. And it handles two of the main issues when you do web scraping. It's like, proxies. So scraping B automatically selects the back proxies for 
according to the domain you want to, to scrape, and headless browsers. So if you want to web scrape a website that uses a lot of JavaScript, so let's say a website that relies a lot on React and all those uh, GS framework, if you try to do it with curl locally, for example, it won't work because for, for the whole HTML to renders, you need a real browsers. And we do this. So if you query a, a website through scraping B, we're going to render the whole thing inside a real Chrome browser and then return the results to, to you. Yeah. So is our uh, tool only an API-based tool right now, or does it also have some user interface in a no-code, low-code uh, design? So it's uh, basically just an API. We built an integration with Integromat, mm -hmm. which basically allows you to interface with the API with a nice UI with nodes and arrows and form to fill the API parameter. So we're no kind of both. Got it. Got it. So uh, tell me like this uh, scraping is a market uh, which is heavily crowded and it's been there where a lot of large incumbents as well. So how do you build uh, competitive differentiation as a new uh, entrant uh, into this uh, market? Sure. So I think we did two things to differentiate. First, we built it in a very transparent way. And one common denominator of all those web scraping companies or proxy providers is that they are, I think, they are unnecessarily, sh not shady, but unnecessarily hiding a lot of details about their business. Like sometimes it's very hard to know who is actually behind the business. It's hard to know where it is incorporated. It's hard to know how many people they hire, they they have. Got it. And so we've decided to be very transparent about it. You know, from the early days, it was like, okay, the team is like Kevin and I. Kevin does this, this, this. I do this, this, this. We're in France. We're two young men. We're bootstrapped. We make this amount of money. And the second thing was like, okay, we're trying to build the best content out there about web scraping. So... A company we really like and really look look up to is like Ahrefs. And Ahrefs, they build their product in a very crowded niche, like not a niche, like it's a market basically, uh, which was SEO tool. You know, when they launched, there was Moz, SEMrush, and all those other SEO tools. And yet they succeed because they just build the best SEO content out there and their product is also awesome, but that's how they, they grew. And we tried to, to do like them uh, as well as we could. Okay, so you would say in a way that being authentic uh, really helps uh, in this market and not many players uh, play that card. Yeah, I know it did. I, I know for sub customers, it, it made a difference. And also, you know, there's everything else behind it. trying to have a good product, a good documentation and exceptional support. Those things were also a key too. 
Right, right. Obviously, uh, that's an interesting take, and uh, sounds good. So, who are uh, the major customers? What are your major customer segments like, and uh, what's the traction? Uh, yeah, how's the growth been? So that's actually an issue we have. Is like there are so many custom people who are doing web scraping that it's hard to to get clear segment about it. But I'd say that any companies that relies on having a lot of data to build their product, they're doing some web scraping at some point. So if you have some price monitoring company, realtor data company, a social media monitoring company, basically everything monitoring, everything aggregator, everything data company, there's 99% of chain that they're doing web scraping and those are our biggest customer. Sure. And is there any geographic focus right now? Not really. So yeah, we have lots of customer in the US, but we have also lots of customer in India, okay. uh, a few in China, a few in France, mainly because we're French and talked mm -hmm. and are quite uh, active on French forums. And uh, yeah, so... Okay. And talk us about your pricing how does that compare with say few of the uh, direct competitors and how has the traction been like uh, over this years we're not the cheapest web sweeping api mm -hmm. because we have had a lot of copycat over the years who try to undercut it by 10 15 20 percent uh, we never reduced our pricing actually and we're an api so our pricing is api called base so you want to make X APA call per month, you need to take this plan. And we don't feature gate a lot of things, except, you know, enterprise uh, stuff such as team management and all. And um, and yeah, that's how we build our pricing. We never choose to compete on price because that's a never-ending race. <laughs> like, you can't yeah. win that race. Right. Okay. So, uh, the uh, scraping has always been uh, like an industry where uh, we have always uh, had some legal ramifications or we are always in doubt whether uh, it's legal or not on certain sites. But uh, recently, the US court has ruled uh, which has legalized scraping of public data. So how does uh, how have you seen that impact this sector? Oh, it doesn't impact the sector at all because first, web scraping was also legal before that came out. Okay. There was, it's not the first time, the first time a US court state that web scraping is legal. There is one famous case involving LinkedIn that sued a company, I don't remember the name, but yeah, it made lots of noise a few years ago right. and they lost. They make an appeal and lost and another appeal and lost again. The general consensus about web scraping is that as long as first you don't resell the data as is, and second, you're not hurting the website you're scraping, meaning you scrape in a smart way, like you're not DDoSing the website, well, you should be good to go. Got it. Okay. Now let's discuss a bit more about the early days of scraping B. So I want to uh, learn more about what were some of the initial problems that you thought were worth solving. And uh, why did you choose them at that point of time? So, well, in the early days, we just wanted to make a web scraping API that first used a lot of proxies so you don't have to, 
web-switching API that, that sourced the best proxy providers so you don't have to, and that handles all the headless browser management stuff. So those were the two problems we've decided to solve, and we focused all our energy on that. Okay, was it based on any uh, consumer feedback or was it more on your insights? Yeah, like scratching your own itch. Got it. Like okay, so talk me through uh, how did you go about building uh, the like MVP and maybe in the process share a framework of how to develop a SaaS product MVP. Yeah, so first we use uh, uh, how is it called uh, boilerplate code. So it was uh, Flask base, I think, which was a boilerplate for uh, Python Flask. So this boilerplate, it handles all the user management, reset password stuff, uh, admin stuff, dashboard and all. Okay. So we could, we only had to focus on, you know, building the actual web scraping API. Then we build the said API. We used uh, MSO to build our marketing website and write our documentation. We used charge B to build the billing quite quickly. And in three weeks, we had an MVP ready. Like it wasn't working that well. Uh, documentation was very, very bad. But you know, it was good enough to convince a few people to to sign up and to even take a, a paid subscription. So in a sense, it worked quite well. Awesome. I think uh, three main components you mentioned are the backend and the uh the front-end site, and then at a billing solution. And all of it, as you mentioned, had certain uh, yeah. already pre-built... Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, like, yeah, Chargebee, for example, it's like a SaaS subscription management tool. And it's an amazing product, to be honest. Okay. And yeah, it allows you, like, you don't have to take care about renewal, about coupons, about... A billing cycle about a credit card invoice blah 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 like it does everything for you and lets you focus on your core value proposition exactly exactly okay so now how you had this mvp built in this awesome three weeks uh, time and so how did you go about validating the mvp and through it validating maybe the overall market as well how did that process happen in what timeline so while we were building the MVP, and actually way uh, way earlier than that, we were quite active on some web scraping forums in France. And when we built the MVP, we were like, okay, we're building this web scraping API. Would you be interested in, in trying it for free? And we got a couple of free beta users who would like lot test the product, give us a lot of feedback and all. And after, yeah, may, maybe eight weeks, we decided, okay, let's close the beta and make it and may let's make it a paid product. And so we close the beta, and uh, yeah, a, a few minutes after the beta were closed and the email notification was sent, we got our first customers, and then we got a second and a third one, and we thought, okay, we're onto something. Let's 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 take it seriously, like. I mean, we were serious about it, but like, we're onto something, let, let's make it work. So next, can you highlight a few lessons that you learned from uh, building the MVP 
product till it's uh, say the early paying customers what are some of the important things that uh, new entrepreneur should keep in mind uh, during that stage so one thing very important is like the only true validation is people giving you real money like it doesn't matter how often they use your product it doesn't matter how good they're talking about your product it doesn't matter what they tell you during calls if they don't pay you haven't validate anything so that's the i'd say the biggest lesson and second do everything you can to talk to your user like like for us what we did was to offer a very generous trio plan for people who would accept to get on the phone for 15 minutes with Kevin and that's how he was able to talk to hundreds of people in a, in two or three months and that also helped a lot so yeah i think that's the two main takeaway of that whole phase like take nothing for granted if people don't pay you and try to talk to as many user as you can so you also mentioned that you decided to exit the mvp at uh, top of 8 weeks so how did you make that decision like any uh, signals or metrics you were looking at no i mean for us like we were ready like we've been lot testing the product and it worked well enough and okay it was no longer too clunky to <laughs> got it yeah yeah okay so next uh, like uh, how many customers do we have uh, currently on board so we have yeah uh, more than 500 Oh great awesome and do you think uh, from that uh, you have achieved the uh, product market fit or do yeah. you think and ready for scale or uh, what's the plan right now okay so after the mvp phase now we only had i don't know maybe five customers and so we were unsure at all about having product market fit but we were sure we were into something so at least a subset of user was interesting in a web scraping api uh now we needed to find out if that number of user was big enough for us to build a real business and second if we were if we'd be able to to acquire them like to find a scalable and reputable acquisition channel yeah i think that's one of the major aspects uh, you highlighted to find a scalable repeatable acquisition channel yeah and uh, that's often uh, the make or break for uh, startups exactly okay uh, all right so what are uh, some of the technologies at play in your product can you briefly highlight a few of them i know we talked about headless browsers and then uh, rotating proxies but i want to go no more about the technology behind them Yeah sure so on the tech side is a pretty boring product uh we're using flax python we're using aws lambdas with puppeteer to run the headless browsers for example which allows us you know to scale almost infinitely uh we use as i said puppeteer which is a framework that allows you to to interact with headless browsers we use yeah lots and lots of proxy providers we even have our own okay and uh, we use buzzgrace redis like yeah pretty classic tech tech 
tech stack got it sounds good so uh, what do you say would be the hardest challenge right now for you to solve maybe technology wise and then business wise business wise it's to hire the right kind of people so we're at a stage where we need to grow the team but it's hard to find yeah to find the the right kind of profile because we need generalist but experienced generalist and most of the time experienced generalists are either entrepreneur or they ended up specializing in a very special thing for example let's talk about marketers like if you want to work with experienced marketer like they are either entrepreneur themselves or cmo in a big company or chief content officer expert in ads expert in copywriting email whatever and what we need would be kind of experienced generalist and those kind of profiles are hard to to find got it i hear you completely on that and uh, i think the team is what uh, makes or breaks uh, something across all these stages of a startup and uh, that is always one of the hardest challenges okay uh, lastly i just like to ask you so what's in the immediate future for scraping b basically we're we're still a small team we work yeah we have i think a healthy life work life balance even though i'd like to be able to work a little less we're going to release uh, interesting new features and a whole new product line later this year which i'm very excited about but it's still the very early days and uh yeah like we're growing nicely and uh we're happy we with where we are at awesome i think that content is uh, something uh, like a holy grail uh, in a startup world and uh, i hear you there and so can we get a sneak peek into some of those features or we'll be connecting again once you release them and that will be another chat no so basically scraping b right now can only be used and leveraged by people who know how to code we'd like to make it usable by people who don't so we've built a no code integration we're trying to to maybe go one step ahead got it awesome so i think that's a great overview pierre i really appreciate you taking out time and giving us this fantastic uh, insights into your early days of starting with entrepreneurship and how you made that uh, pivot and change and then uh, growing into a 1 million arr uh, company and along the way i think the listeners would really have learned some uh, tidbits and some tricks uh, that work well and would help them to grow their own saas business as well so thanks for your time and thanks for all the inputs Thank you.